The media plays an influential role in how we view civility. Student media members will soon be a part of the broader, more prominent presence that is the media. The impact that these future journalists have is limitless. Will they choose to promote civility? What does promoting civility look like within a student's work? What does a world look like without civility? Today, we're joined with Sue Kirkman-Zake, a Kent State Associate Professor of several experience reporting classes, as well as the advisor of student media. She has an over 20-year journalism career, including a managing editor position at the Akron Beacon Journal. Before we speak with Sue, I do want to remind our listeners that we have our media and journalism mingle this Thursday, March 4th at 7.30 p.m. We'll be discussing civility within media and journalism, as well as bridging the gap between journalism and public relations. We'll be joined by Professor Michelle Ewing, Professor Suzig, Professor John Kroll, and Ron Kirksey from Akron PRSA. We hope to see you there and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Finding Common Ground. Today, we're joined with Suzanne Kirkman-Zake, an associate professor at Kent State University. Sue, would you mind telling us a little bit about your career in journalism? Sure. Well, I started off as a photojournalist, and my first job was in Tampa, Florida at the now defunct Tampa Tribune. And then I worked at the Columbus Dispatch for a short time and then spent 20 years at the Akron Beacon Journal where I started off as a photojournalist, but then kind of moved my way up the management ladder. And when I left, I was a managing editor, mostly for web special projects. I managed about half the newsroom. And then I came to Kent State to get my master's degree and pretty much started working with student media from the day, literally the day I walked in the door and have been here since. So I've been here, I think, I think I just had my 14th anniversary here at Kent State doing, a, you know, mostly student media advising, but a lot of teaching. So I'm kind of a typical professor, except for the advising. So I work pretty much every day with news gathering in some aspect. You obviously have a lot of experience in media, especially regarding students. So the student media. Um, so what would you say is the student media's impact on civility? You know, I don't know if we directly impact civility. I think we try to be civil in in how we present the news and in how we collect the news. I mean, our student newsroom emulates professional newsrooms in that we want to hear from pretty much everyone. I mean, I think there's a, a misconception in, in the public community, and I think it's, you know, the media's fault ultimately, but I think there's a misconception that you know, we have some ax to grind and that, that, you know, we're inherently biased. You know, everyone has bias. We all come at things from with our own filters, but the journalists I know professionally and the students I work with just practically kill themselves trying not to be, you know, have a point of view about what they report on and sometimes go too far the other way, trying to be, you know, hyper fair to the, the opposite perspective of what they may have. The other thing I, I think is, probably a mistake on some of the media's part. Media is this huge, big idea, right? And, you know, there are lots of little tiny niches within that. But the other thing I think that happens is that it's not a bipolar discussion, right? It's not just Democrats and it's not just Republicans and it's not just conservative and it's not just liberals. I think I just heard a discussion that there's probably the potential for eight different political parties 
in the American populace because no one party fits what one group thinks. I mean, I know where I, I don't fall within one or the other. I have, you know, and so I always talk about kind of the arc of conversation where you don't just want to hear from a Democrat and you don't want, you know, someone who clearly identifies with, you know, this, I'm talking about politics now, but you want people who think lots of different things to expose people to ideas so that they get good information that's factual and so they can make up their own mind about you know what they think and i think that's our job i always talk about in my classes i'm going it's not both sides of something it's all sides of an issue and i also think you want to look really hard at the people affected by policy so i'm a public policy wonk i teach a lot of reporting based on public policy but i think one of the the problems is we hear from the same people over and over again we go to government people we go to agencies we go to the you know kind of the official people but we don't hear a lot from people at the neighborhood level. And there's a whole movement within news called community news, which one would think is a no brainer, but it's not how news actually gets reported a lot of times. And so concentrating on the people who live in the neighborhoods who are affected by government, you know, whatever the policy makers are, whoever they are, is I think the best way to get at a story. So, so I just think we've kind of hyperpolarized things and that's a lot of what's led to a lack of civility is, is, you know, which side do you fit on? Well, people don't fit on sides very conveniently most of the time. And you've kind of touched on student media and on the broader scope, but if we're just looking at the broader scope, how would you define civility in the media? I come at everything from a reporting perspective. You certainly have editorial and opinion. But I think a lot of it is tone. You know, there's a lack of civility in the in the way people put their ideas out there. And I think some of it is that your idea gets put out there and it's it's automatically excluding anything someone else might think. So I think I think being able to have a discussion with someone and be open to the perspective they have is is a big chunk of the the civility part of it. My husband and I have very close friends who are not politically aligned with us, but we can, you know, have decent discussions. We don't talk a whole lot about politics, but it's always interesting to me to hear their perspective because I, you know, I don't really think the same way they do, but I'm not sure that the way they think is invalid. And so I think being open to that, the idea that we probably agree on a lot more than we disagree on. You know, nobody wants kids to not have food, but how do you make sure they get food? You know, that that's the where we disagree is the how do we go about fixing what's what we probably all acknowledge isn't necessarily working the way we want it to. And so I think being open to the, just it's respect. I mean, just being respectful of other people's positions. Now I will say there are people I think are just nuts, <laughs> just nuts. And <laughs> they're thinking and their decision-making on facts. I think there are people who willfully mislead. And I think a lot of it is self-aggrandizement. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who put ideas out there because it gets them an audience and makes them ultimately makes them money and they get paid a lot of money to rile people up, but they put out a lot of false information. And and I don't know why that stokes some people's fire and makes them feel somehow better and more powerful because it's pretty ugly at, at its base and it's not civil. And so why we value that and why we pay those people a lot of money, I don't understand and probably never will. I think being respectful and coming to the table and being willing to listen to somebody, I think is huge um, as far as civility goes. Like you think we align on more issues than we think we do if we just take the time to listen to that person's perspective. Yeah, I really I really think that 
That's true. There's a, a group in Ohio, Hannah, I think I told you about them. It's called Your Voice Ohio. And an old friend of mine is kind of the managing director of it. But they basically facilitate discussions, mostly to see what people think should be reported on. But what's always fascinating to me is that the the moderators come out of those meetings going, wow, those everybody was just so respectful and civil. And they kind of find common ground when when people are willing to talk about things. I think it's really how Congress at its finest used to work, where they would get together and, you know, you're going to be on, you know, this side and that side, but somewhere in the middle, you can figure out, okay, we, we can move forward on these things because we can find agreement. And we're willing to have the discussion and and you know maybe this side gives a little and this side gives a little but at the end and and you know i always think in a good negotiation people walk away unhappy on both sides because both sides had to give a little bit and you know at both got a little bit both had to give up a little bit so they may not be happy because you tend to dwell on the what i had to give up to get to where we got to but i think that's part of what's missing right now is there's not a willingness to give something in order to get something. Right. And I think you touched on the willing to have the discussion in the first place. I think that is a very important topic to touch on because if people aren't open-minded and they're not open to having that discussion in the first place, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that's one thing we're trying to promote heavily on, especially with our campaign, is just being willing to listen to people rather than immediately being like defensive and on the defense and wanting to argue and yell at people. Um, I think that was a really good point to bring up. Some of the other things I see are that when, depending on who, which news gathering agency you're, you're talking about, they don't seek out diverse voices or people won't talk to them anymore. And so they end up getting very one-sided reporting and it's on both sides that it's an issue. And now I'm talking about a polarized kind of both sides. It's a painful exercise. You know, I'll go look at what's considered a liberal website. We did this in my class too. It was really fascinating. A liberal website and a conservative website to see what their news coverage looked like. And it looks like they're on a different planet. Mm-hmm. And, and the same stories from where I said should be important to people, but you should be hearing a variety of perspectives about that newsworthy issue and that's not what happens and so you end up getting completely different coverage and it's kind of crazy i mean i don't think that used to be the norm say 20 years ago so tying that back into your work within student media how have you been able to promote that civil discourse or civility while working with these students um i mean i think a lot of it is that and to be clear they have editorial independence so i'm a guide i'm a mentor coach they they make their own decisions which i think is is really incredibly important but my guidance is that we need to talk to as many people as we can the nature of student media is we you know we typically cover campus tv2 covers off campus more but because it's students and they're learning, they don't dig tremendously deep into public policy kinds of stories. Some of it's a time at, time factor, some of it's a skills factor. Um, there, Lots of them are just learning how to be reporters. So they tend to do more simple topics, but we try to stress you need to talk to as many people as you can to explain this. And if you know, we do have somebody who wants to cover say even campus politics, we try to make sure they reach out to a variety of student groups to hear a variety of voices. That's gotten really difficult because they won't all talk to us. 
and and it just it doesn't make any sense because it's not like we're controversial, right? It's not like the reporting we're doing. But I think it's just that kind of, you know, the media is bad kind of thing response that that is, you know, just being ingrained in a in some folks. So I think that's its own problem because it means your message is only going out to your filter bubbles. And it's a control thing, right? I love, you know, I'm going to make those filter bubbles like me so that they don't like anybody else. And that's not democracy. And that's not what, you know, what we value, I hope, in this country is is a plurality of thought. So, so that's concerning to me that we have trouble getting everyone to talk to student media. I mean, we have conservative kids in in the room. We have we have a, you know, it's an arc of humanity, just like anything else. So yeah, so we try to get that arc of humanity kind of voice in there. Although it, I think it's gotten harder, especially in the last five or six years. So I'm going to say in my like five or six weeks in the reporting class, I've bumped into that a few times where I'll reach out to somebody and they're not willing to talk about the topic because it could spark something that they don't want when I'm just trying to tell their side of the story. And so I can definitely relate to that just from being in a reporting class for this semester. Well, and I always tell my students, it's harder for you guys because you don't have those established relationships that a beat reporter at a newspaper would have. And so it's just, you know, they don't owe you anything. They don't know you very right. well. They may not trust you. Actually, not that you're not trustworthy, but they just don't know you. Right, exactly. And, and you may have had someone in your beat the semester before who was terrible, for all you know, and, and didn't get the quotes right. And we don't, we don't always hear about it. And so there's not anything we can do to remedy it sometimes. So even though I think most students reporters do a pretty good job, you know, they're still learning. So mm-hmm. I always tell people that, Student reporters have to learn their jobs in in public. How many people have to do that? You know, we, right. we demand that it be public and and that we hold people accountable if they make a mistake in public. So that's tough. That's a tough way to go. Going back to what you said, I definitely agree with finding sources that differentiate from your own opinions because it's easy to seek out information that you already believe in. And I think we tend to do that a lot. And it's gaining the courage, taking that step to look at information that you don't necessarily agree with and educating yourself on that perspective is really important in reporting. But without civility in the student journalist's work, if they weren't looking at those other perspectives, if they weren't seeking out this information, or if you weren't even teaching it, which is amazing that you're teaching that, how do you think it can negatively impact student journalists and their future careers in journalism? Um, You know, I think it's a credibility issue and that's really what we trade upon as journalists is a sense that our work has integrity that will and and, you know i use the word fair a lot you know what's fair you know we're working on a profile right now of someone who's not particularly well regarded and i said okay we need to be fair you know at the end of this the end of this enterprise this exercise did we capture this person fairly you know the good and the bad and i think it's a lot that way i hope that if a student has you know and we have students who definitely want to work in advocacy but i think there's kind of a difference civility and advocacy can be kind of two separate subjects so i think advocates need to be civil no matter what like i think we all need to be civil but I think if a if a, a student goes down a path where they're not being civil and their and their tone is you know disrespectful, mm-hmm. and you know they use charged language and they're snarky all the time, then I think you know the the consequences will be natural consequences and they'll only be 
potentially, you know, hired by, you know, they won't be considered by as many potential employers. Some of them want that. I mean, we have a grad right now who's who's working in kind of far right media, and that's what she wanted the whole time. So, so it's a matter of their choice as well. You know, I would hope they stick to factual <laughs> reporting, you know, and and vet sources of information so that they are confident that they're being told the truth and that what they report is accurate. But, you know, I'm convinced there are people out there who aren't interested in that, that it's all about getting audience, getting clicks, you know, growing my YouTube channel, whatever it is, just to make money. And and some of it's power. I always tell my 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 own kids, I said, just don't forget, it's always about power and greed. (laughs) I know that sounds really cynical, but there are a lot of people that that is the big motivator. And if you don't forget that, you don't underestimate the person you're dealing with. So do you think if you seek out factual information, that civility will just tend to follow that? I mean, I think you can be nasty with factual information. (laughs) Yeah. I think ideally they go hand in hand. So, So if you're putting out factual information, hopefully people can use that information and have a civil conversation. I mean, I guess you can have a civil conversation and and spew BS, pardon my friend, you know, I don't know. So I just think that that it's hard to have one without the other, especially when you're talking about politics and governance and public policy and things that really, really are important. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be opinion out there that I won't agree with necessarily, but I want it to at least, even if I don't agree with it, I want it to be thoughtful. I want it to have a grasp of facts and try to convince me. But I don't know that that's the case, you know, with a lot of things anymore. I think people just demand my attention and, you know, beat me over the head with it because that's what they think. And I don't think that's what good opinion, especially with editorial opinion, you need to make a case for me and convince me. That's what I think is the way to do it. You know, do your reporting. Good opinion has great reporting behind it because the facts should support your opinion. But I don't think that's the case anymore. Not you. I mean, it's not totally a disaster out there, but there's a lot of cases where it doesn't matter what the facts are. I'm going to tell you what I think, and that's what I think, and that's it. And it doesn't matter what the facts are kind of thing. And I think that leads to a, a level of uncivility or a lack of civility. Because um, how can you have a reasonable discussion if you're spewing non-factual information? Yeah, the whole QAnon thing just... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't even read that stuff without just shaking my head. I mean, and and I would rather feel more empathy for folks who've kind of gone down that rabbit hole than scorn them because I would like them to come back. You know, I would really like them to see the light or something. I don't know what the, because it's I think a lot of people I actually heard a really good interview about QAnon people who go down that rabbit hole and and it's a belief right it's not it's a it's a it's an emotional response to something and part of it is feeling like it's a cultish kind of response and it's feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself that has an exclusivity to it and so i think people who go down that rabbit hole are unfortunately worthy of empathy not being scorned for it because you want them to come out of that and realize that they're you know they're being led astray really and that their emotions are being they need to be intellectual not emotional about it you know and that's that's half the problem with some of this stuff use your brain i was just gonna say i think a good point to bring up was that it's like there's a lot of people out there who do this for personal gain they only look at the information that they want to hear or that 
will further prove their own agenda rather than might not mean it's not factual, excuse me. It just might mean that it helps prove what they already believe in. And I think, well, I would hope that people in Hannah and I's generation is trying to break that. I feel like I've seen that a lot on social media, but I've also seen a lot of the personal gain and power and greed, obviously, as we've seen. But I hope that this next generation is able to foster more of a truthful and civil environment and always looking for the truth rather than just looking for information that will further prove their own personal agenda. Yeah, I think you have to be a little careful. I mean, we always are careful with the word truth, even though I use it a lot, because one person's truth could may not be another person's truth. So you have to be like, so I look like, I like facts and accuracy and things like that, you know, analysis of facts. And I think part of the problem is we make everything black and white. We make everything a soundbite. I mean, I, and I, and I'm, if you ask my husband, I yell a lot at like broadcast television because by its nature, it's a simplistic medium. That doesn't mean it has to only give simple information. But, you know, I think local news, local broadcast news could be much stronger than it is. But people want to be entertained more, I think. So I think they're reacting to what the audience wants. But if you watch a local newscast, there's not a whole lot of local news in it. It's a lot of talk. There's a lot, you know, there's sports, there's weather, but where's the real news that has impact on people's neighborhoods and their city and their, it's really very light. I can't follow even social media because it's just watch the news at six. Okay, tell me what the news is. And I do watch the news. I mean, I'm a consumer of local news. There's no question about it. And I'm really afraid because people don't read newspapers as much as they used to, that that's where much more you know, there's more depth of reporting. It's nuanced information. It's a continuing story. I got into it once with someone who had a broadcast back, and I'm not trying to condemn all broadcast reporters. I love, I think NBC News is doing a great job covering the coronavirus pandemic. You know, Lester Holt's team, I think they have some really top-notch reporters. And I feel really, at least at a national level, I don't think they miss a whole lot. They may not break a lot of stories, but it's a pretty good factual information with some decent analysis thrown in. And I watch the Sunday morning shows. We're all, we're news junkies. But um, but I really worry that a lot of the nuance and depth are missing for most people if they're not reading more. And, you know, comparing it, you know, get a, like my uh, one sister has kind of come out of her filter bubble a little bit and consumes a lot more variety of news. And every so often she'll text me and go, what do you think about this? And I'll kind of give her my news media perspective on it. But it's really fun to have that conversation with her because before she was much more down a rabbit hole that was filtered way too strongly one direction. So that's been cool. But yeah, I worry that there's a soundbite kind of, you know, it's like, the here's the tweet. You guys know how vile Twitter can be. And, you know, Insta's kind of, Instagram's, you know, it's like, here's your graphic, here, TikTok. Oh my God, what are we going to do with TikTok? So, you know, it's all short stuff. So how do you understand a really complex foreign policy kind of thing? And how much foreign policy reporting do people actually consume? Not much. But but we all have opinions about, you know, should we be in this war here or there when we really have not a deep understanding of what's going on, but don't seem to trust the wonks to do it right because we know more. I mean, I just, yeah, there's a lot of opinions flying out there without a lot of knowledge, you know, to help base the opinions. So I worry about that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs>
it's easy to see a headline that you disagree with, but then when you read the story, you like you said, you oftentimes find common ground within the story. But I think we take a lot of things at surface level, and that's where all the butting heads comes to play. So, yeah, and I think people get riled up more like when we have a presidential election and I've watched this even with my own students and it's getting better you know I think the level of engagement with especially younger voters went up dramatically in the last four years six years Obama got people excited you know for younger voters and then Trump I think had the opposite effect but got them riled up for the Dems Um, and so we'll see if that lasts but but and I don't care who you vote for I want you to vote is where I land on it but I like I, my own son, my son's going to be 30 next month. And he just really got politically engaged in the last three years or so and didn't vote, which just killed me, you know, for a couple of different cycles. And now he's really caught up in national politics. But I'm going, what's your, I mean, I think they have uh, ward council kind of people. He's, he lives in New York City. I said, well, what's your, what's happening in your neighborhood? Because that's what's really important. But getting getting young people to engage at that level, which is where people start their political careers, you know, mayors become governors or lieutenant governors and then governors become congressmen and then congressmen become president. So feeding that pipeline and being engaged with that pipeline, I think, is incredibly important. But people just they only care about local politics as it affects them. You know, like in my neighborhood is did my street get plowed? I'm not kidding. That is the number one. Fix the potholes, plow my street. That's the biggie. You know, what are my my ta- taxes just went up like crazy in Summit County. And I think I think it's across Ohio. The property tax rates went through the roof, um, which is a good story. And people are just like they don't have the money. I mean, a lot of them just don't have the money right now. So it's really bad timing. And it seems like it's way too high that it's not really that it shouldn't be that high. And so everybody's challenging it, but that's people are riled up about that locally. But yeah, but they get way more riled up about national politics, which only affect them. You know, it affects them. There's no question, but it arguably affects them less in some ways. So so I'm really fascinated by that. Okay, so as part of our campaign this year, we've really been focusing on sort of bridging the gap between PR professionals and journalists and people working in media because as we, we've seen, they both have separate agendas, but they often work together for one common purpose. So as these student journalists further their careers, they're obviously going to work with many different kinds of people, including those PR professionals, in order to produce their stories. So what relationship do you think journalists and PR professionals need to be successful in their respective professions? I mean, it has to be based on truth. And I have, I've worked with a variety of PR professionals mostly really good ones, but a few not quite so good ones. And I can't, I mean, I can't say that I've ever been lied to, but I think part of it, and the, the reason, Ashley, that PR students take the reporting class is to help under, help you understand what what's news, what has news value, what do we think is important, how do we work, because you can't really help us if you don't understand how we work. But yeah, no, definitely, it has to be based on truth kind of shared values. You know, if you work for a great company, your your job gets done for you, right? They have they treat their employees well. You know, they have strong policies, they put out good products, they do it in an ethical, maybe in an environmentally safe way. You know, so there's definitely a synergy there, I would say, because it 
I mean, I, we wouldn't know about what three quarters of the stories out there if it weren't for PR folks telling us about them. It's like, hey, right. and it's not always a press release, right? It's a call. It's like, hey, we've got this going on and I thought you might be interested in it. Or, you know, like I used to do a lot of, I did several photo stories from like Akron Children's Hospital and the Lori, the PR person there was just great at just greasing the wheels for me and making my life easy to get it in, get access, get the releases we needed. Um, so it was based on trust too. Like she knew I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize her, you know, as far as not getting releases for patients, which is a liability issue for the hospital. Um, and I knew that she would facilitate getting me the biggest range of access that she could so that the work could be as good as it could be. So those are really good. I mean, I really valued that relationship. That was years ago, of course, but you know, but then then you have the kind of the PR folks who call you up and expect you to call them back when you have no idea who they are. And it's, and they're calling you about something you could care less about that isn't isn't newsworthy to your audience. Yeah. And so it's and they become just a pain. It's like, why are you calling me? <laughs> uh, yeah. So so that mutual understanding and but it, it's got to be based on trust ultimately. But no, and, it, and those are good relationships. Yeah, and I know in our last podcast episode with Professor, excuse me, Michelle Ewing and Professor Luke Armour, they definitely touched on that same thing where we have to understand each other's role, PR professionals and journalists, to understand how we can help one another and sure. to help bridge that gap, as we say, to learn how we can work efficient, efficiently with each other to produce those stories and to produce that truth, as you were speaking about. And so I think that was, it was a really good way to tie it all back into our main theme here. Yeah, I mean, basically the, the PR folks are looking for ways to get their the information out about their company that reflects well on the company. And we're looking at, you know, is this story interesting to our audience? Is it newsworthy? Is, you know, does it have impact? Is, you know, so, so those can be mutually beneficial, but, but the other thing is when we're looking at, say your company or whoever you, you represent, has done something not so great and you go into crisis mode, don't lie to me, you know, because we'll right. just dig in harder. <laughs> that's that's the journalist thing. We dig in harder when people lie. It's like, whoa, where are they hiding? Yeah. <laughs> it's a gene I think we all come with. Yeah. Well, I think we touched on most of the points we want to talk about. I think your insights have been extremely helpful, not only for student journalists and PR professionals, but even just like students in general, the public, it's so important to have civil discourse and civil conversations to just create better communities at the smaller scale, like you said, in the communities we're actually in, the neighborhoods we're actually in. I did want to ask if you had anything else you wanted to touch on or add before we wrap up today. No, you know, I think a big part of being able to have civil discussions is getting people actually involved in their governance. I mean, I would challenge everyone to go to their council meetings, you know, go to a school board meeting. Nobody goes to school board meeting until there's a controversy. I mean, and I'm included in that. I mean, I'm a, I've gone to them as a journalist, but I don't go as a, you know, as a rep, you know, someone who they represent. I don't have kids in school anymore. But that's, I think, a lot of it is being involved in that discussion and understanding the discussion makes you feel like you have a voice and it makes you better informed. Short of that, you know, consume information from trusted sources, you know, be really careful where you're getting your information from so that you can form opinions that are based on fact and not just, you know, that polarized fact we were talking about, but nuanced and 
comprehensive reporting because it's hard it's hard sometimes to find that okay so we want to thank our listeners and obviously sue for joining us today if you found this podcast interesting we encourage you to check out our other episodes the first episode we did was with john kroll professor john kroll and the second one as i mentioned was with professor michelle ewing and professor luke armor where we explore similar topics um about finding common ground and then also stay on the lookout for our media and journalism mingle that we will be having i believe march 4th have a wonderful rest of your day and i hope you enjoy listening thanks you guys for having me thank Thank you for joining us it was awesome to hear what you thought about it all (laughs) Good to see you guys. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye.